This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, October 22, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. What must you believe if you think the Federal Reserve should have seen the housing bubble coming, should have raised rates earlier, and could have averted the meltdown of the past two years? Cato Institute senior fellow Peter Van Doren is co-author of the new Cato paper, Would a Stricter Fed Policy and Financial Regulation Have Averted the Financial Crisis? He comments. What was the conventional narrative of how the Fed got us into this uh, housing mess? Many political economists and political commentators have argued that we now know, right, a standard part of the narrative of our current crisis is that we all know, and I, Van Dorn's rule is whenever someone says we all know, I start looking at the data to make sure it's true. But most people say we all know that the Fed goofed. The Fed left interest rates too low for too long, and thus, if it had raised rates earlier, we would have avoided the housing bubble and the current financial crisis. And my colleague Jagadish Gokhale and I have written a paper that's just been released by Cato that asks the question, what would have to have been true for this narrative to be true, that the Fed caused the problem and thus better Fed policy would have prevented the problem? The first is a technical issue, which is, do economists have a technical apparatus and capability that allows them to detect asset bubbles or any other kinds of anomalies in financial markets in real time, which they then could say to decision makers, decision maker, you have a problem, are early warning detection system, somewhat like, you know, radar for intercontinental ballistic missiles, that we detect a problem in financial markets. And you, chairman of the Fed, or you, Mr. President, there's some policies you should consider to deal with this. So first, can economists detect these things in real time with reasonable degree of unanimity and confidence and thus not have the usual... uh, um, criticism of economists, which is on the one hand, on the other hand, right? The two, President Truman said he, he he got sick of, or President Eisenhower, I can't remember which one, said he got sick of the two-handed economist. He wanted a one-handed economist so that whatever advice they give was certain. Jagadish and I survey uh, econ- economic journal articles in the 2003, 4, 5, and 6 period, looking at housing journals and things like that, where people do econometric tests, and, and then ask the question with 95% confidence, are we confident that a, that a housing bubble exists? And our answer is no, that in fact there are many journal articles, many prominent, uh, by prominent economists of various political persuasions, um, some Democrats, some Republicans, uh, but, but mostly people in housing, um, uh, for obvious reasons. And we have quotes in our paper that say, we don't, Um, Yeah, there's something going on, maybe, but it looks to be maybe regional, and with 95% confidence, um, we can't reject the null hypothesis that no bubble exists. So I think that's our first uh, criticism of the conventional wisdom, is that if policymakers and the country go forward with something that asks an agency to have a bunch of economists figure out when trouble's coming and then tell us when it's coming. Uh, We don't think that such a technical apparatus exists um, as yet. What is the next step then? What what else do we have to believe in order to 
Well, it's, so assume the problem I've just described goes away. Assume that, in fact, we're wrong, Jagadish and I are wrong. And in fact, there are technically trained economists who can detect bubbles in real time and do it with reasonable unanimity so that there's not the usual partisan sniping over this issue. So there's something like the CBO, only it's the bubble detection outfit. And you, they detect it and they alert the, the, the chairman of the Fed and the president, uh, sir, we have a problem, you have to do something. The conventional narrative now and somehow is, assumes a way that the Fed has other objectives or other data that might uh, counteract the bubble detection in housing. And what we talk about in our paper is the general notion that the Fed worries a great deal about deflation and worries about having interest rates go so close to zero that it has no degrees of freedom to act after that point because you can't have negative interest rates. And we are already we're in fairly low interest rate territory. And and the question is, what were the inflation data looking like at the at the same time in the 2000 to 2006 period? And the answer is, all our conventional measures of price inflation were fairly close to zero and sometimes negative. And since the Fed worried greatly about getting so close to zero that, in fact, it would not have room to lower interest rates when it otherwise would have needed to. Um, it, Even if one branch of the, of the Fed economists had come in and said, sir, we have a bubble in housing, but the chairman would have said, ah, but I've got all this other evidence in other areas of the economy that, in fact, we're not running up against constraints, uh, prices are stable, so I'm not, sh uh, you know, so a, a, a bunch of people in a room voting on what to do could could easily have said, let's stay the course. Yes, there's this maybe something going on in housing, but in fact, we've got trouble elsewhere and we need to stay the course. And again, this is in real time. Uh, not knowing what we now know, they're trying to figure it out in real time. Right. What the actual relevant facts are uh, is a little <laughs> a little harder to pick out than... Uh, after the fact, picking over the carcass of, of the problem. Right. The technical term we use is hindsight bias, right? Everyone now knows what the cause was, but in fact, we now only know it because we're looking backwards, not forwards. All right. Let's assume that's not a problem. All right. Well, let's assume that um, the technical guys say there's a bubble. There are no other objectives. There are no contrary data. Let's do something about the bubble. All right. Let's raise interest rates. Well, wait. In the short run... That increases the supply of savings and increases capital flows into the United States. And Jagadish and I show that in the 90s, things were fairly stable. There were capital outflows from the United States and capital inflows, but they were fairly balanced. But starting in the late 90s and early 2000s, the rest of the world starts to export its savings into the United States and rather dramatically. So the money from oil countries and the money from China was invested into the United States, and they invested it in what they thought was a safe sector. And so now we're supposed to believe that I raise interest rates, the Fed raises interest rates. True, that reduces the demand for housing-related mortgages and things, but it increases the supply of capital going to the United States. Now, given what everyone thought at the time, that capital would have tried to go into housing because it was thought that housing was the safest sector to invest in. So if anything, this interest rate increase policy that everyone says we should have done earlier, well, it 
would have, in the short run at least, probably increased the supply of funds to housing. But that wouldn't have been an equilibrium because the demand would have been reduced because the the um, interest rates on loans would have risen. And so you've got this odd, what economists call not an equilibrium, sort of an increased supply of savings. At the same time, you have an inc a reduced demand for savings, i.e. loans. How would all that work out? And the answer, the, nar the conventional narrative actually doesn't confront this issue. But the bottom line is uh, raising interest rates would make housing a much more attractive investment because it's perceived as relatively safe. And now because of high interest rates, you get a better return. Exactly. Even though the demand for that would have been reduced um, because of the increased rate on a loan. Also, just um, empirically, Remember, the Fed starts raising rates in 2004, so in 04 and 05 and 06, it's steadily raising rates. That did not decrease the flow of funds into housing into the United States at that time. We now know, looking backwards, that the flood of money into securitized subprime investment was really going like gangbusters at the same time the Fed was raising rates. So... The conventional narrative is, ah, but if we started the raise, the increase in rates earlier, well, but I, I think all that would have happened is the flow of funds into housing would have been exacerbated. Um, and, and instead of 05 and 06 being the peak, as it were, the peak of flow of funds into housing would have maybe come somewhat earlier. Okay, well, let's assume that's not a problem, that everything is lined up perfectly and essentially all the Fed has to do is is pull the lever, right? Right. So again, so I started this discussion with a technical issue and I'm going to end with a technical issue. So remember, to start, I said, can economists using their technical apparatus detect bubbles in real time? And I said, no, but assume they could. The conventional narrative says, aha, the Fed can tweak its levers and then the housing finance area responds. Well, Jagadish and I looked at the data. That is, what's the correlation? What's the statistical relationship between federal funds rates and the interest rates charged in loans to various sectors of the economy? Okay, For the conventional narrative to be true, there has to be a relationship between what the Fed does and interest rates available on mortgages. And what we show is, is from the, basically in the 80s and up through the mid-90s, early 90s, there was a fairly strong relationship between federal funds rates and 30-year conventional mortgages. Then that falls off and goes almost to zero um, by the mid and late 2000s. And, and in fact, the correlation is what, 0. 0.0 in the paper, um, 0.07, is that right? So, I mean, that's, that's hardly any relationship. Well, critics have responded to that argument by saying, aha, but the new exotic housing financial instruments were not tied to long-term interest rate. We didn't have 30-year mortgages. What we had is two-year and three-year contracts, which then completely rolled over and you'd have to refinance, right? That was what was going on. And so uh, the, the that's look at the relationship then between short-term federal funds rates and short-term mortgage rates, and in turn, short-term commercial rates. What Jagadish and I found is that, again, early on in the 90s and, and uh, early 2000s, uh, the relationship between the Fed funds rate and the short-term housing interest rates 
was in the point it was was say in the point seven range. So that's a reasonable relationship. But then after after uh, the late nineties and early two thousands, it drops quite dramatically to the to a point four eight. So again, if the Fed pushes its lever and then but the housing market would only respond at about a half of in other words for every sort of one point change in the federal funds rate there'd be much less than a one point change in in housing related mortgage rates even the short run mortgages which everyone presumes in their commentary uh, in the last year are well we know they're tied to fed's funds rates cuz fed fund fund rates are short term and Housing rates are short-term, so they must be tied together. Well, they're not. Now, Fed funds rates are tied to short-term commercial paper. So knowing this, Jagadish and I argue that if the Fed had raised its rates sooner and faster, it would have triggered a recession, but the money would still have gone into housing-related instruments. So you, we would have had a recession, and we would have had a glut of money going into housing, and the Fed would have been blamed for the recession, and people would be mad, and they never would have observed what, in fact, did happen, and so they wouldn't think that the Fed was an angel for doing this thing that the conventional wisdom now says it should have done. The Federal Reserve, as a, an agency uh, of policy, would seem fairly ineffective, as they, I assume, were trying to find discover uh, in their way the market rate for these various funds, right? Well, what's interesting is for, we're particularly, um, at least uh, Jagadish and I are intrigued that our colleagues on the right see the Fed as omniscient and all-powerful. <laughs> but in all our other commentary, we tend to argue that the federal government is not omniscient, and it's certainly not all-powerful. And so we find it a little odd that, in effect, we now, the, the, the notion that the Fed can figure everything out and then do the right thing and then keep us, in, in, you know, from um, financial disaster. Um, what we show empirically is that it may be able to affect commercial short-term interest rates, but it doesn't affect housing interest rates that much. And if we did more empirical work, it might affect other sectors even less. So it's it's um, we find it a bit odd that um, those who tend to be skeptical of government ability and government power now seem to argue that if only the right people were running the Fed, somehow the world would be all better. An argument that they would never want to apply to basically and, any other part of yes, the political world. Correct. Peter Van Doren is editor of Regulation Magazine and is a Cato Institute senior fellow. You can read the paper, Would a Stricter Fed Policy and Financial Regulation Have Averted the Financial Crisis? at Cato.org. <laughs>